0: listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world.
1: Welcome to the Uloff Podcast. This is Michael Bond, and I'm here with Tanner Hoshide.
2: Yo. <laughs> is that
1: just like that? He's breaking out, Patrick's <laughs> yo.
0: <laughs>
1: Patrick's not here with us, and he was last time, so we miss him. So now we're just all gonna say yo. Sad. <laughs> and I also have Julia Buggy. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I could see how this is going to go. Yep. <laughs> and, and I'm also here with Caleb Fugate.
3: Yo. That no. wasn't very good. But I don't hang out with him as much. So. It's
0: all right. That's Pat's is a little choppy.
1: So, um... Yo. <laughs> yeah, he says it while laughing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, we're going to talk today about the importance of confession, and I think we're also going to get to the problems that come with trusting your own virtue and I also want to talk a little bit about the necessity for discipleship and what that looks like. So let's just start with confession. This has been one that has been, that we've been thinking about a little bit lately, just uh, trying to see how how it's possible that Christians are in this situation where they'll so readily confess their sins to God in their personal private time with God, But when it comes to confessing their sins to their brothers and sisters in Christ, that seems to be a whole lot harder. And the idea there, like the kind of the slap in the face, I guess, is that maybe you're not, maybe in your private time, you're not really confessing to God. Maybe you're just sort of confessing to yourself. And the reason why you're afraid to confess to your brothers and sisters in Christ is because we put ourselves in this sort of negative echo chamber of trying to look holy in front of each other all the time. And so we only broadcast the holiness of God, the holy judge. And it puts all of us into a situation where we don't feel welcome or comfortable enough to talk about our shortcomings and our issues with each other. We don't give each other the opportunities to show grace. So how do we break this cycle of viewing each other as the perfect image that we're trying to broadcast and instead understand that all of us are insufficient the way that we are and that all of us need to grow i think that that would be a much healthier way to live and a healthier way to have conversations but i'm not altogether too certain how to get there and so i'm curious what your thoughts are on ways and methods that we could Break this cycle of sort of slipping into the holier than thou mindset. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's
3: really interesting. Um, I I was reading this book as a book study, and I'd read it before, maybe back in college. It's called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Um, And we were going through the last chapter of it this past week, um, and I had read it, and I was just like absolutely leveled by it. And I was like, this is the greatest chapter outside of anything in the Bible that I think I've read in a long time. And I had sent it to Kendall, actually, in Mm -hmm. particular this Mm -hmm. one page. And it basically asked the question, or said, um, why is it that we go before God who is the most holy and who before sinners burn up because of his holiness and yet are afraid to go to... And in doing so, are we forgiving ourselves instead of God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so when I go before God and ask for forgiveness, am I in my own mind just forgiving myself? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think that is the case a lot of times. Right. As opposed to at least when you go to your brother or sister and confess, two people are there, which means God's there, which means there's probably forgiveness to be found. And the, so the start of that chapter, though, um, that I had brought up with Kendall, at least, uh, says this, basically, what if we genuinely dared to be sinners?
1: Mm
3: -hmm. as christians right because we like to masquerade around as clean to some degree Mm -hmm. as put together to some degree or if we talk about me being a sinner it's like oh yeah i'm a sinner Mm -hmm. that's it as opposed to saying oh yeah let me tell you about how i abused my wife last night Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like that's a very different thing yeah and like going to con Moving to confession, I think, starts with, like, let me tell you how about how I'm a sex addict.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. right.
3: Like, that's very different than me saying I'm just a sinner. Right. Like, saying right. a sinner right. is a blanket to hide yourself, a, a, right. a mask to hide your, like, true sins behind. And Dietrich yeah. Bonhoeffer asked the question, what if we, what if our churches went around and actually dared to be sinners? Instead mm-hmm. of just saying I am a sinner, but to say I'm a sex addict, right? Yeah. That's where healing starts.
1: Right. And it seems to me that if any group of people should be able to face the fact of their sins and their shortcomings, it should be Christians. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we are the ones who have the avenue of forgiveness. We are the ones who have the cross, right? And that, yeah. that's the whole premise of our view, of our worldview. And if we can't do it, how certainly we can't expect people outside of the faith to right. do it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of this hesitancy to broadcast the issues that we struggle with to others is tied to the fear that these issues, once we put them out loud into the room, they will become integrated with our identity. So Mm -hmm. for instance, you could just say famous unnamed pastor uh, gets caught in a moral failure. And then he goes from being famous pastor, being identified as famous pastor Mm -hmm. to being pastor who's fallen from grace. So his identity shifts as soon as it comes out into the open. And so it seems to me that people are less afraid of being wrong than they are of being exposed as wrong. And I think that the way that we uh, shift away from that and we get into a healthier mindset is to show people that, no, you actually should be more afraid of, of actually being wrong than just simply being exposed is wrong, right. that, that, this, that sin is sin for a very good reason. Mm-hmm. And we should think about those reasons and think about the damage that sin does to ourselves and others. If you're just willing to do sins in secret, and your greatest fear is those sins being exposed, rather than the actual damage that the sin does, well, then maybe you don't respect the fact that that is a sin we don't we're not treating the damage with respect Mm -hmm. the same way you could think about fire like fire if you don't respect it will burn you down right and and so what are your thoughts as far as like this idea of being wrong about something over against being exposed as wrong
2: about it so i'll start with this sin confessed is sin easily forgiven sin found out and exposed that's going to be harder to, and I'm not saying this in a in a sense, like from like God to us, I'm saying from like person to person, if someone comes to you and is like, hey, I struggle with this, like, can you help me? Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, yeah, like, I'm sorry you struggle with that. Like maybe they might struggle with the same thing, but like we can get through this together. Let's do this. But as opposed to sin being found out, it's harder to have grace and it's like, You know, you kept this, and you didn't uh, come to, you didn't go to anybody uh, seeking help. And I know that's hard. It's hard to go to anybody with your sin and be like, hey, I struggle with this, because you don't want to be, like, looked down on for Mm -hmm. that. But if we actively become better at confessing our sin and striving towards, um, you know, being healed from that, whatever it might be, um, it will become easier to confess that. And they will, like, sin, uh, found out, leaves a whole lot of room for consequences. Mm. And there's many ways you could take that. I think, um,
3: along those same lines, Sin confessed is the essence of, like, the gospel in our own lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I've mentioned this in any of my sermons or not, but, like, um, the one of the most powerful moments I've ever had um, telling my own story and how the gospel took place was um, I was a counselor of kind of the male staff that worked at a summer camp, high school staff, <clears throat> and I remember telling them, like, hey, when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, um, like, I was a sex addict, and let me tell you what this was like, and let me tell you, and, like, there were four dudes in that room who were like, like, I didn't feel like I could tell anyone about this, and they would have gone years and years and years of more and more damage, and it's, like, Mm -hmm. something that I thought I could never tell anyone ever in my life Mm -hmm. has now become the vehicle of freedom for other people, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, had I never confessed that sin to my best friend, um, and had I not regularly continued to do that, you can't tell that gospel story, right? Because it doesn't become gospel for you yet. It's still your sin mm-hmm. that you've been ensnared in. And the, the truth of the gospel is freedom from that, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes freedom not only for yourself, but freedom for other people. So it's like, unless we confess those things, we're not experiencing the gospel. Um, our testimony isn't um, does not coincide with it, and other people aren't receiving mm-hmm. that gospel in the way that God had intended it, from our right. own stories at least, right? And it's like, I don't know what, I mean, I know actually what happened to those kids because... Um, they have grown up and I have continued to walk with them in the last Mm -hmm. four or five years. And, um, I think they have missed out on some of the harm and damage that comes from that because of the story that I was able to tell them. Because I, at one point in time, went to my best friend and said, Hey, I've got this problem and I think we need to Mm -hmm. talk about it. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Yeah. So whenever you first went to this best friend and had this moment of confession, what was his response? Because I feel like our experiences with confession and how the listener reacts is either... Um Constructive and helpful and loving, or it can be a blockade to ever confessing something yeah. ever again.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, with my best friend, it was like we both just sat there and cried for the next like half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had initiated the conversation because okay, so there's something else about this. Like, when you don't confess sin, it just bottles you up inside and yeah. it literally will ruin your
0: mind. Mm-hmm. Like,
3: I think a lot of, and actually, when I was reading through that chapter like a lot of psychological problems that we deal with, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety deals with the fact that we don't confess our own sins, yeah. right? Because it just is a weight on our chest that builds over. Imagine never confessing a sin for 20 years, which happens for, I think, a lot of people.
0: That's self-destruct. Right, yeah.
3: <laughs> and, and you know, and I had gone to my best friend, and we both, and I initiated it and said, I have this problem. And he was like, you know it me too. And I was like, why could we not tell it? And part of it's like shame, right? Like I don't Mm want to be shamed and I don't want other people. And truth be told, you shouldn't be going around and telling everyone about your problems because that's just damaging in its own. But it's like, I knew ahead of time that whatever, um, I had said to, I could have committed, said I committed murder and this man, like my best friend would have been there for me. And you've got to know who those people are ahead of time to be able to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully he would, if I had murdered someone, he would have said, all right, now let's call the police. But (laughs) But he was there for me and we cried and like for the next hour and a half, we just like went back and forth confessing the sins of the last like five years that we had never told anyone about. And it was Mm -hmm. the most freeing two hours of my life. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And since then we have continued to do that. Um, And another one of our best friends in that tree, like we'll text each other and we were in a habit of doing this and we've gotten out of a habit of doing this every Monday we would text each other with a list of things that we had sinned in the past week. Not just like I've sinned and I've been bad because I thought a bad thought. No, it's like I lusted after X person in this way. Like Mm -hmm. The more specific you are, the more freedom you will find.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it seems to me like we have two, at least two things working against us when it comes to confession. And those two things are the fear that we will not receive grace from the people we confess to. Yeah. And also the unwillingness to accept the seriousness of sin. Uh, the the sort of did God really say that kind of thing like is sin really bad you know Mm. in the rationalization I think that's probably where a lot of the psychological damage comes from Mm -hmm. is just this idea of oh well this is just part of who I am now I've been I've had this unrepented sin for 20 years and so is it really a sin after all I mean maybe actually it's it's good and this is how it's good and I'm gonna use this right yeah Mm -hmm. when that justification warps our worldview and then we end up with other sorts of issues um, so here's something that I think you might find interesting. Bonhoeffer's analogy, I, I, this was Bonhoeffer's analogy, correct me if I'm wrong, Caleb, but it's just this idea that uh, it's a lot easier to confess to God in our private time versus confessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ, so therefore maybe we're not actually confessing to God. Correct. Yeah, that's now, the gist of it. So, so like the, the, the issue I have with that a little bit, I think where the analogy breaks down is that we are putting... Human grace on the same scale as God's grace, and I, I wonder maybe if we have an understanding of of God's omniscient wisdom and His and just His immeasurable grace, if we have a knowledge of that and we integrate that with our spirit, mm. maybe that's what makes it so much easier to confess sin in the in our our private relationship with God over against like Julia, like what you were saying. I think that's an extraordinarily important point. This idea that. If somebody reacts the wrong way to a confession, you could very well close that person up for the rest of their life yep. mm-hmm. and this is particularly true of people who are survivors of abuse and assault and that sort of thing yeah. um, you know so uh, an, an analogy I like to use for that, Is imagine a a child comes up to you who's just been mauled by a bear, and they're just bleeding out right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Well, you wouldn't look at that child and say, "Oh, did a I don't see a bear? Did a bear really attack you?" (laughs) Like you would, you would try to heal, help heal the wounds that are happening right in front of you. But with Mm -hmm. something like abuse and emotional abuse, you can't see those wounds, and so it is as ridiculous to look at like a survivor of abuse who comes to you with that sort of confession and it's not really a confession but I think for some for some of them it is because they feel a lot of shame associated with it even if it what even if they really were yeah. a victim mm-hmm. um, they come to you with this wound that you can't see and if you if you answer them the wrong way or question it or or whatever if, you, if it really is the same thing as just watching the child bleed out in front of you because you can't prove that a bear actually mauled the child yeah. mm-hmm. and so that's just another example of responding to a deeply personal, vulnerable moment right. in the wrong way, and that that just really stings people and makes them not want to be vulnerable ever again. Right. And I think that that issue is one of the main issues when it comes to confession of sin. And so, what what do you think about uh, what do you think about Bonhoeffer's analogy with human human grace and God God's grace? And do you think that the analogy breaks down? when you consider uh, the, the depth of God's grace over against the depth of human grace?
3: Well, I, I, one, um, I don't think Bonhoeffer would ever say, like, that human grace and God's grace are ever on the same level. He's a pretty orthodox Christian guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not saying that God doesn't forgive you when you go to him in your own private time. Right. But he's saying we as Christians, I think, have weaseled out of this for far too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are good at going to God. We are not good at going to each other, right? And there's something about um, the incarnation of Christ that makes this all the more true. It's not that we are comparing God's grace and human grace together. It's that sometimes, I think, God's grace is experienced through humans, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's why Christ came. Mm -hmm. Um, so that the grace of God could be fully experienced by humans. and So so there's something about when I went to my best friend and said, I think I'm a sex addict, um, and he said, your sins have been forgiven. And in that moment, I saw the face of God in this ginger-haired man um, that was more profound and more impactful and more powerful. And it wasn't his grace. It was God's grace through him in that Mm -hmm. moment that I needed, right? Mm -hmm. And there is always the danger of... Um, yeah, of of not receiving that and then being closed off. There is that danger, um, and that's why we as Christians need to be so good at this, and we're mm-hmm. not right um, because we just don't do it. And that those things happen because mm-hmm. we are not experienced in confessing.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's let's get back to this idea of how how do we fix this? Do you think that it's uh, an appropriate way to try to fix it to change the motivation behind? our christian worldview so like maybe the motivation behind the christian worldview is to appear christ-like to others so we keep up the appearance of being christ-like it's obvious that we should genuinely authentically want to be christ-like rather than Mm -hmm. simply appearing christ-like but we have to really sort out this this issue because it seems to me like even in the context of conversation right now people can't talk to each other about issues that they disagree with because it, it seems to me like if they are exposed as wrong in the context of a conversation, they interpret that as a, a demotion on the hierarchy. Like mm-hmm. they feel like they've been knocked down a few pegs. Right. And I, I don't think they should feel that way. I think that going into the conversation, you should see areas in which you're wrong as opportunities to be less wrong. And if you're less wrong after the conversation, then your chances of being damaged and damaging other people are decreased. Mm -hmm. And so how can we take that sort of humble, truth-seeking attitude that that makes conversations work well and make that a part of our Christian life? And how can we make that a part of our church services, maybe even? Yeah.
2: So are Mm -mm. you going to say something? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope. so you I it. think this this leads to the, the area of discipleship and <clears throat> being discipled by someone you know it's not that they have all the answers it's not that I have all the answers but it's a matter of you know doing things with them and typically your discipler is someone in spiritual authority you know over you and you obviously want to seek guidance and wisdom from them. Um, It's a matter of, you know, having those conversations with those people and really getting an understanding of, you know, where you may or may not be quote-unquote wrong, Um, but it's a matter of growing through being discipled. That's just what I get. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Um, I think that the aim of being grown as a disciple is tightly associated with the aim of getting a better bearing on the truth. So imagine you have a conversation and you disagree with the other person on X topic. It's 100% likely that both of you are wrong in some sense. Mm-hmm. Neither one of you have totally. a full bearing on the truth. That means that both of you can grow in that conversation. And I, yeah. I really harp on conversation a lot because I think conversation is the primary means by which we grow. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's endemic to discipleship, right? It's it's a it's a foundational part of discipleship. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. disciple somebody you, you don't have a conversation with, right? And so if the goal is to get closer to truth between the two of you, then you'll have the humility and the And you won't have the fear of being wrong, of being exposed as wrong, or being you'll you'll sort of jump on those parts where you're wrong, and you'll see those as opportunities for growth. And I think that how we so how do we make this part of our church services? I think a a pretty good place we could start is by acknowledging the broken human condition in preaching. And I think that that Mm that's not all. And not all preachers will do that. I mean, some preachers will maybe for financial reasons or self-glorification or attendance or whatever it is, or maybe they've built the the culture around it this way, of this idea of, I want people to feel better about themselves when they leave than they did when they come in. And the quickest way to do that, which is actually not the right way, is to completely try to circumvent all of the human problems, all the little human issues that you might have. And you just tell somebody, you're perfect the way that you are. And the problem with that is that, imagine you have 700 people in a congregation, okay? Mm All 700 of them know that they're not perfect the way that they are. They know about their dirty, ugly, revolting issues. Mm-hmm. They're completely aware of them for the most part, unless they've distorted their uh, their thinking so badly out of justification and rationalization right. that they no longer they think that Which evil is good and good often. is evil. Which People yeah. know when they're
3: trash, for, right. <laughs> <laughs> when right. their life's a dumpster fire. <laughs> right. And,
1: and so, so if that's the case, then in the pastor preaches the opposite of that, or preaches that you're okay the way you are, your sin isn't really sin, etc. every person in that congregation knows that the pastor's lying. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, and, why did I come? Right. Why yeah. am I even here? Like, why and, did,
3: and that's like the, really brings out the central question of the gospel. If that's true, why did Jesus come? Like, if mm-hmm. humans are right. kind of just fine, what's the cross for?
0: Right.
1: Right. You know? Right, for sure. And another issue with that is, imagine you have somebody who's just starting out in life. And so they have a lot like of as it. a baby or well like yeah <laughs> but, like straight out of the womb
3: starting out or like mid twenties yeah, getting life goes let's or say like uh, early twenties
1: like early twenties whenever the pain of adulthood is also is hitting you as well as like the inexperience of youth and so, it makes a nasty so concoction <laughs> wow <laughs> a nasty
2: uh, concoction he really just called me out yeah. that was a,
3: a, uh, so okay so. <laughs> I, okay to be fair I didn't hear him say the nasty concoction he, That's he started started said that laughing. like right as I said Tanner yeah. so. I know but I was able to
0: take it all in at once <laughs> it, was it was great nasty concoction so I'm not denying tanner. it but
2: oh. well, on that note uh, I'll see you guys later <laughs> <laughs>
0: that'll be your introduction um, on the next podcast yeah, <laughs> <laughs> The <Tanner>. nasty concoction <laughs> Tanner O'Shea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
1: imagine somebody in, in a situation where their life is not at all what they hope it could be mm and then you tell that person, oh, no, actually, you've arrived. This is you, you, this is the best position that you could possibly be in, which is what the message that you're sending if you're telling somebody that they're perfect. It seems to me like the, the far more hopeful message is I know about all the issues. I know about your issues, but you can face those issues because by the power of Christ, you can transcend those issues, mm-hmm. right? You can come out on the other side of those issues and grow from them. That's way more hopeful than oh, this yeah. idea that, You know, oh, you can just ignore the issues and you'll be fine, I think. And so that can be like a pretty good segue into uh, cultivating this mindset Mm -hmm. of trusting your own virtues, because I think that that's where we uh, where we end up if we stay away from confession for a really long time. We end up Mm -hmm. in this place like the rationalization comes and. You know, maybe we get into a situation where we're surrounded by people who affirm us. One of the things that uh, really disturbs me about bigger churches that are also unhealthy is that they can have incentive structures that sort of just create themselves. So you can imagine like a, a top flight pastor who has a lot of clout because of his fame and his fortune. And so the things that he says carry a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Well, the people around him are not, they're going to be like yes men they're, that's because they want to have a share of that, right? Because maybe their reputation, their paycheck, all of these things depends on that person doing really well. And so it's really easy to create a culture where you're just surrounded by people who are reaffirming you no matter what. And that's kind of like the opposite of confession, because if you're just going to reaffirm somebody no matter what, then why should they confess anything? And then they end up in the situation where they think, well, if I'm not going to confess anything, maybe I have nothing I need to confess. And maybe that means that my virtues are pure and perfect. And then if I take myself out into the world and the world disagrees with me or reality as such uh, causes me harm because of something about myself, well, if I'm perfectly virtuous, then there must be something wrong with reality, or there must be something wrong with God, or there there must be something wrong with the people that I'm around. And it's not me. I don't need to change myself. I need to become vengeful and bitter against God in that sort of way. So what do you think, besides those, what are some other dangers that come from uh, trusting your own virtues?
0: uh, What? I was going to say I think. (laughs) I think (laughs) See? <laughs> I, think simply, <laughs> I think simply just trying to operate in and of your own power without God uh, and putting yourself in a situation where um, you think you can outstand a sin that just isn't possible without the intervention of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. helping and guiding you through that. Almost like a I'm good. I've got this. I'm, I'm sinful, but I'm not that sinful anymore. But there's a reason why, why you had to overcome that sin in the past and why it was such a struggle. And just because you become uh, a Christian or um, are aware of that doesn't mean that you've got that you've gotten any better in and of your own power to avoid those sins of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think those are the the places that I've gotten myself into trouble with trusting my own virtue of, like, this new, um, like, I trust my progressed Christian virtue Mm. of, oh, I've been saved, I have, you know, the Holy Spirit as a helper, um, he can lead me and guide me and empower me to make the right decision, but then I would still, over the course of, you know, the past couple of years, um, Put myself in situations that weren't a good idea Mm -hmm, and just rely on the Holy Spirit to get me through it, but not taking like the active steps of meeting him in the middle. Like I had the conviction. Mm -hmm. I had like the horrible um purely just guilt, if that's what you like what you want to call it. I had all of that, but I wasn't I wasn't actively fleeing sin. Mm -hmm. I just believed and trusted my own virtue that I was quote-unquote, better now. Mm-hmm. But I was doing that without God, if I look back. Right. It was a twisted, yeah, you know, twisted belief.
1: Mm-hmm. It seems to me, then, like, if people get into the mindset or the habit of thinking that they are the ones who overcome sin, uh, well, two things could happen from that. You could become... If you happen to overcome sin and you think that you're the one that did it, you could become tremendously arrogant and mm-hmm. judgmental of other people because
0: no, so <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Yeah.
1: because then you think, well, I overcame my sin. What's wrong with you, right? And, right. Then, and, and so uh, get
0: it together, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and, and, and so I think that if we maintain the if we maintain the importance of understanding that. God is the one who sanctifies the heart that the holy spirit is the one who who purifies us and sanctifies us that seems to me to be so important because if we don't have that mm-hmm. then that's just another it's yet another thing that will keep us from wanting to confess because right then we think that if we confess, we're alone in our efforts to get over the sin. So we think, okay, I have this sin in my life. If I'm gonna confess it, then a whole bunch of people are gonna know and they're gonna constantly be wondering whether or not I've overcome it. And I don't know if I'm up to that task.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because what if you don't for a while? That sucks to be able to (laughs) just keep telling Which I've been there. I remember for like
3: a two year period, I was just like every Monday, I was like, I'm still doing the same stuff. And my friend had to bear with it. I was like, man, I'm so sorry.
0: Here's the daily report. Hasn't gotten any
1: better, <laughs> and so that's pretty fascinating to me because that does seem to be the right thing to do, though. Caleb, is just this this mm-hmm. idea that if there is an ongoing sin that a person struggles with, that it is the knowledge of the fact that okay, God's going to purify me of this if I continue to repent and right. I continue to to turn towards him, right. he has to be the one to purify you. And so this kind of gets me to and this he will, idea. Too. Like it's
3: not immediate yeah. and it might never be something where it is permanently taken away, right. but like the hope and the, like the assurance that we have of the gospel is that he will heal you.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm.
3: that's what James says. If you confess to your brother,
1: you will be healed. Yeah. It doesn't happen immediately.
0: Like that's still an
1: ongoing process for me. And that's one of the key, I think the key misapprehensions about the Christian faith, outside of the faith, and probably inside of the faith, is just this idea that, well, if I become a Christian, I have to stop doing this, this, and this, and this. I, me, I have to do it. And I think that if we can, that might be the key towards opening up the door to confession and actual authentic repentance and all the rest is just this understanding that the Spirit of God is the one who purifies you. And people who don't believe in God think that's crazy because, like, what's the Spirit of God? What are you talking about? That's just me. I I have to work at it, right? It's just me. (laughs) And, And so I think that having the understanding that, and like you said, it's, it's not going to happen for you right away. And you might not even notice, like, for from people one day. some it
3: does, but that's not been my experience, at least. Yeah, yeah me, me, me Like, me you've me heard either. stories of people who, like, just have quit things called turkey because the spirit is just so moved in their life. Yeah, And, I like, wish. if you're waiting for that, it might not happen. If it has happened for you, like, praise God for that. Mm-hmm. But also know sometimes it's a long haul. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, having a sort of a proper understanding of repentance here it, we can, and we can wrap on this. Um, if you have ongoing sin in your life, and if you're human, I'm going to say that the answer is probably yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not probably, it is. <laughs> uh, so, so what we need then? what is absolutely a prerequisite towards the other healthy paths of confession and and uh, mercy and grace and those sorts of things towards your brothers and sisters and towards yourself is the knowledge of something like authentic repentance. Mm-hmm. And I think that w- one of the best scenes of repentance, and I was thinking about this this afternoon, um, one of the best scenes of repentance that I can think of, at least that I like the most in, the, in scripture is uh, Psalm 51, mm-hmm. which is sort of David's David's uh, call out to God to cr- to create in him a clean heart and yeah. to purify his spirit. And throughout the whole psalm, he's saying, God, you do this. God, you do this. God, you do this to me. And he's not saying, I'm going to do it myself. He- he's saying, God, you do this. You do this for me. And his main concern in that particular psalm is his main fear is that God will remove his Holy Spirit from him. It's like the one thing. I mean, it's, it's not, okay, it's not the fear of oh, God, please don't punish me. Please don't judge me for these things that I've done. It's, It's God, please do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Please do not cast me out of your presence. And I think that there's something hugely important about that because that indicates that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then your chances of overcoming sin or being sanctified are zero. So if you guys have any thoughts on that as we close out here, about like just the weight that is sort of lifted off your shoulders when you come to the realization that the spirit of God cleanses you.
2: The only thing I have to say is it's, uh, it's a freeing thing. Well, it uh, takes the pressure off. Yeah, for sure.
0: Of all, of all the times that you've failed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's nice to know that you're not the one that has to take care of it whenever you fail at it time and time again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, uh, when I think of Christ saying that his, his, uh, yoke is easy and his burden is light, Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the the idea that gives us a true understanding of grace and a true understanding of grace is super important for confession and discipleship and Mm. not trusting your own virtue and all the rest that we talked Mm. about today.
0: Can I add something real quick Mm -hmm. before you close? I want to steal what Katie said the other morning where she was saying that we're able to share about 98% of our lives Mm -hmm. with other people. And then there's that 2% that is like, sometimes we might, sometimes we might never get there. Or maybe there's one person that knows. And Katie's um, plea or prayer that morning, which really kind of just stuck with me, was, God, help me to be receptive to hearing that 2% of people's lives, to like hearing it and being loving and compassionate, but correcting them in a way that's very Christ-like. And then help me be willing to share that 2% with other mm, people. Yeah. Um, that's the art of confession, to understand both sides um, because Christ understood it better than anybody else, although he was sinless. So just practically, like going Mm -hmm. forward in your conversations with people, you might be really good at sharing your 2%, Judgmental as heck whenever somebody else tries Mm -hmm. to share their two percent with you, or vice vice versa. You know. I
1: think that's a great that's a great point to end on, Julia. It's just this idea of just remember that you know being able to confess is one thing, but being a person who can be confessed to is also equally important. In order for your Christian walk. Thank you all for joining us for the Uloft podcast. I just want to remind you that. Uh, United is Tuesday nights at 7.27 p.m. We're currently on break, but we'll be back January 12th, I believe. So this is happening at the Indiana Theater (laughs) (laughs) on Philadelphia Street. It's a lot of fun. There's good speakers, good music, and a lot of good people that you can make friends with. So I hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you in the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to the ULOK podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater, located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live United.